0: Welcome to Between the Lines, a podcast by The Timothy Project. Tune in to an intriguing, mind-stimulating podcast where your mind-boggling questions in the Bible are analyzed. Simply breaking down mysteries in the Bible, precept upon precept, in the scriptures until we see Jesus. Be blessed as you listen.
1: It's another lovely day, and we have another Mm -hmm. lovely podcast for you. This is Between the Lines, the official podcast for the Timothy Project. And we are excited to be back again on our new, beautiful, inspiring, educational, informational. Listen, the adjectives are just not enough, but we're still doing the Holy Red series. And today we have a very interesting topic um, to, to continue with. But before we go on, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I have your host, Eugenia Kelly. And I have my two bougie guests in the building. I'm going to allow them to say hi.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, This is Bethmund here. Hope you guys are doing well. And um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you all this while. Pleasure to come your way again, as always. And we hope we have a fruitful discussion today. Yay.
3: Great. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Solomon, um, a.k.a. Soul2. Again, it's a pleasure to be here as always. Uh, looking forward to the fruitful discussion as well. Um, so yeah.
1: Awesome, awesome, awesome. I think one day I'm just going to take my time and then just run through like all of their AKs combined. Like you, you will be very excited to hear it. Trust me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man! Well.
1: Right. So we've been So, um, the last podcast we were discussing justify your inclusion which was the blog post where we discussed um how the old testament came to be canonized or how it was put together i mean we talked about how it went from oral traditions to writing down god's word and then recording um the doings of the kings and the prophets and you know, all the other, um, different sources for which those, from which the books came from until finally it was brought together into one book and with, you know, different, in different translations. Um, so today we're moving on to the New Testament and I'm double excited for this because, um, because of the, the, the hold the old or the weight the Old Testament has in the Jewish community. Not too many people um suspect its origins, or not too many people throw myths about about its origins. But for the New Testament, you hear a lot of theories. So I'm really excited for this. Um, I mean Beth, one take us away. How how did how did we come to have the New Testament?
2: Um. I think um, the uh, the approach I'm going to use is the approach we use in the blog post. And I think, for me, taking a step back and thinking through everything sort of brings it home. So um, I want us to picture the scene, one of the last scenes that is recorded for us in the New Testament, right? The scene where Jesus uh, has resurrected from the dead, one of his last appearances to the disciples. And He gives them what we call today the great commission. So in Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Key points, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. So the the disciples have seen christ live do extraordinary stuff they've seen him die and rise from the dead just as he predicted and he has given them the task of going out to preach and make disciples the question that they have to ask is is what are they going to say and how are they going to go about it right so Basically, if they are going to make disciples of Jesus, if, if I am going to make a disciple of Jesus, the first thing I need to tell the person that I'm going to talk to is who this Jesus is, right? And mm-hmm. the best way to go about it is to tell the story of Jesus, stories about Jesus that point to who he is. And when we are on agreement on who he is, then we can agree on what he says or what he has taught us right so that was the message that most of the apostles went out with they started passing down the stories of jesus so the the stories were passed down in oral tradition some of the stories began to take down very structured forms and that is why the stories have you know that some of the stories in the various gospels have unique structured forms they have the same form right and some 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 were so some were so um, um, uh, extraordinary that they occur in all forms so and as they went on their their disciples to as they spread moved into various uh communities and different communities so they have different audiences right so um, right. they have to sort of tailor their message to show who jesus is Within the context of the audience to which they are speaking, so for instance, um, uh, most scholars and uh, uh, and, and uh, textual critics are in agreement that um, uh, Mark is the first gospel to be written around AD sixty five, right? And and the the, the interesting thing is uh, by A- A- AD ninety, right, all the gospels were. They were even most of the books of the new testament had been done by then so this is this is the, the point so they started with oral traditions as they moved into various communities and the churches settled down they realized that no you know what let's put these things down into written form so they were just going with their times let's write these things down and and as they were they were moving in the various contexts it's like how do I position Christ within this context? So we see Mark is written first. Mark is written like an action movie. Jesus is always on the move. Jesus is always doing something. He never sits idle. I think it's also because he's written to a Roman culture. And you you understand that Mark is written to a non-Jewish audience when you realize that Mark explains, you know, Mark explains every Aramaic statement that is, is made in the text, right? It is, we usually take it for granted when we are reading it, but a critical understanding or critical observation would be that the people reading this text don't know Aramaic. That is why he takes his time to explain the Aramaic and he takes his time to explain certain Jewish customs. So whoever Mark is addressing his gospel to, these are people who are not conversant with uh, normal everyday Jewish customs. So he takes his time to explore them to explain them and most likely his audience is the Christians in Rome and some of the Roman soldiers who have become converts and that's why the the book reads like an action movie. Then we come to the book of Matthew. Matthew has a lot of quotations from the Old Testament packed with them and that is why even in our our arrangements in the New Testament, Matthew comes first because Matthew is the, New Testament book that is closest to the Old Testament in terms of references and allusions. So he quotes from Isaiah, he quotes from Malachi, he quotes from he quotes from all over the place. And Matthew has one specific goal in mind. He wants his Jewish audience to understand and know that this Jesus that he's talking about is the long awaited Messiah right so matthew is still preaching jesus he's preaching jesus as the son of god the one who brings salvation but he's putting jesus within the context of the long-awaited messiah that the jewish people had been waiting for so that is how matthew writes and the interesting part is we do some long nerdy calculations there uh that uh, the book of um, uh, the book of mark contains 661 verses and out of this 661 verses um, um uh 606 of them appear in Matthew so if you just do the simple thought experiment you realize that okay Matthew used Mark as his source so you have, they have a a lot of material in common Luke also who comes at a later date and Luke is not writing to a Jewish audience Luke is writing to a non-Jewish audience and the reason why you can see that is look that when he's even listening, the genealogy of Jesus does not pause at Abraham and David who are like the two major focal points in the in the um, um, messianic story so you realize that Matthew starts his gospel with uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus the son of Abraham the son of David he intentionally fixes it there to get you to know that okay son of Abraham the promised seed who bring redemption to the whole world son of david the messiah who sits on the throne of david forever so he's he's pointing to these two figures
3: luke
2: luke does not think in messianic terms per se he's seeing jesus as the savior of the whole world so he traces the lineage of jesus all the way back to adam to show jesus's role of salvation in our common humanity right and you also realize that luke also uses 320 of the verse 661 verses in the greek in Mark. so and luke luke even says it himself in his introduction that when he he set out to write he realized that there are various eyewitnesses there are various sources out there but he chose to do an orderly account you realize luke goes all the way even prior to mary's uh, birth goes to the pregnancy the conception period all the Weird stories in between. He traces it all the way back then. To so realize that each audience demanded a different retelling of the story, but the same story nonetheless.
3: That's very interesting. Mm.
2: Because
3: right. you know, not to cut to you, but um, just to uh, make a quick point here: that um, you know, a lot, a lot of the times, people think. Um, that's holy books in quotes um, such as the bible and perhaps the quran and some other books um, need to be received in whole um, for it to be a holy book but as we have um, we have come to see um, in trying to explain the origins of the bible and how it all came together we've, all, we've already established that there is one author behind the veil doing all the magic however the the point of view of these various people, right? That set out to record the the accounts of Jesus's life, um, the points of view and the perspective that they brought um, did not necessarily distort the true message or the true story of Jesus and what he did, but added more layers of credibility to to the existing story and made the audiences that they were writing to appreciate the story as a whole and so we all know this 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 uh, truth about how rumors spread and about how um, what the message gets distorted as it moves one person to the other. but surprisingly in this case even though did, uh, there are different perspectives, the story remains the same and when you read through the gospels what you didn't find in Matthew you find some other detail in Mark, and then a little bit more in Luke and then some more in John and by the time you are done reading through the gospel you have a very holistic um so, sort of story about Jesus's life and what he did and what he came to accomplish and i think that it's it's one of the things that we should um thoroughly consider when we are looking at the veracity of the bible how that um people can tell the same story from different perspectives and yet the story remains unchanged, even with the added layers of, of truth that is included. So but mm-hmm. I just wanted to add that to the but please continue. I'm I'm enjoying this this, <laughs> this expose. Please continue, please.
2: So so we have so at the moment we have Matthew. So we have Mark coming first, then Matthew and Luke. And even with Matthew and Luke, there are 250 verses common to both Matthew and Luke. Um, uh, The scholars call them the Kel source or the common source, right? So at the moment we have Luke, Matthew is composed of um, uh, 606 verses of Luke, 250 verses of the common source and Matthew has his own source. Luke also has the uh, 306 verses of Mark. He has the 250 verses from um, um, the Q source, which is the common source that he shares with Matthew and Luke has very interesting account which is called the infant source or the eye source which that's what they call it and, uh, that is unique to him alone and i believe i personally believe that he could have only got this information by inter, uh, speaking to mary or oh, there was a record of mary's account as well that's happened because some of the details are very very um, uh, personal right that only mary could re- retell, right and it is it it makes sense because mary was part of when Jesus was on the cross, he handed Mary over to John. So even in the upper room, uh, discourse, Mary, his mother, too, was part of them as well. So it's, uh, these are details that only Mary could share with the people. And it's it kind of makes sense if you think about it. A mother, having given birth to such a strange individual, will tell the story of what's transpired before his birth as well, right? Then we have the the, the book of John. John takes a different approach. So these three Gospels together are called the Synoptic Gospel because um, uh, it is, the, the word synoptic is opta, optami, which is the Greek word for to see. And there's the, the syn. Syn is um, um, uh, a prefix which means with or, or together. So the Synoptic Gospel basically means these these books, these three books, they see together or they look at the same thing right so they have similar sources they are seeing christ from a similar point of view but telling the story in into different contexts then we have the book of john 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 there yeah, he states his, his um, purpose at the latter point of the book he says now jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book in this book but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the son of is the, that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So John has told us his purpose. There are so many stories about Jesus that he has not included. And he's not interested in those. Not that they are not important, but they don't serve his purpose. His purpose is one. He wants to show you that Jesus is the Messiah. He is also the son of God. And that by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. So this is the purpose that John sets out to write his book. So he carefully selects the book. And in the book, there are, there are seven signs, seven things that he calls them signs. Like they are like sign signposts that point you to Jesus being the Messiah. And the, one of the interesting things is that there's one particular story that is so remarkable that cuts across all four Gospels. And that is the story of Jesus multiplying the bread. And one of the reasons why that story particularly stands out to me is that this people live in the ancient Near East. Um, Subsistence. Not every most of Jesus's followers were were um, were not necessarily the highest ranking in society. These were poor people living subsistence, living and um, uh, trying to fend for themselves everyday life. And Jesus multiplies bread to feed five thousand people. The story was so remarkable that it cuts across all four gospels, and that is the one mm. story that if it was not true, people could really bash them for but it was mm-hmm. so widespread, so true, that none of the uh, gospel writers could leave it out of their story.
3: That's interesting. But I mean, Bethman, there's something that you say um, with regarding Luke, that struck me. And sorry to take us back, but um, I find I, find I find it interesting, interesting, interesting to see some fantastic journalism going on with Luke in interviewing <laughs> Mary and, and getting that <laughs> I mean his infantile story and all of that and it it's, it gives you some insights to know um, when statements like we come across statements like and Mary i mean saw these things that were happening in Jesus' life and he and she treasured them in her heart and sometimes when I re- like I read those statements I was like how did Luke know that Mary saw these things and treasured them in her heart and I mean, what you just shared with us exposes this—that perhaps this was something that Mary herself, I mean, uh, uh, told Luke while she was gathering the information to put together um, the book. So, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, as way back as uh, whenever AD, whatever, they were—they were applying very fantastic interviewing and journalism skills. It's interesting. Yeah.
1: Honestly, yeah. I feel like the four gospels read like uh, four friends or five friends, and then one dies, and then four of them decide to write like a biography of the, the the person that died, and then they are all writing based on like the type of relationship they had with him.
3: Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. Please, Pastor B, kindly continue.
1: Please I'm a bougie. <laughs> like if you, you don't be neglecting the bougie, It's very so, important.
2: So... So when it comes to when it comes to the the four gospels, right? So this is how they were. So the four gospels were spread across various communities, and that was their collection of Jesus' statements, stories about Jesus, and um, uh, that's what they were dealing with at that level, right? So at this point, in time, we don't have a book, but we have these stories out there, these materials out there right so the the new testament is made up of these four gospels which i call the thesis statement and the the epistles which are practical teachings based on their thesis statement right so i borrow i borrow we we we, we went right we borrowed this term from uh, michael gorman uh, michael gorman is a Pauline um, a Pauline scholar, the guy is one of the best around. Um, um, so I borrowed his his term, the apostles in absentia, because that's how he described Paul's letters. But I borrowed the term to describe the epistles in general. So as the church grew, right, and began to spread, spread across various communities, um, the apostles had one. Major task. So Jesus said that um, make disciples of mine and teach them the things that I've commanded you. What does what does the the teachings of Jesus look like within these different contexts? Because uh, for the for the Jewish context in Jerusalem, the Bible says in Acts two forty two that they continue daily in the apostles' doctrines, his teachings, the apostles' teachings, in fellowship. That is uh, in breaking of bread and in prayers. Our, our New Testament says prayers, but it actually says in, in the prayers in the original Greek, because they, the Jewish people had about uh, specific prayers that they used to go and pray. So you even realize, that I think it's Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, that the Bible says Peter and John went to the temple at the time of prayer, right? So they, they, for the Jewish uh, believers, they didn't see um, uh, Christianity and Judaism are separate. They saw Christianity as a full opening up and a fulfillment of the messianic promises that God has given to them. So they didn't really change their Judaism. They they embedded Christ as the center of their Judaism. But what does what does Christianity look like to non Jews? Right, right. And that was that was one of the major uh, work that the um, the apostles had to do. So. Paul primarily, who was called to gentile community, gentle meaning non-Jewish communities, how is he going to communicate? Um how is he going to communicate the message of Christ without it looking like a, a Jewish nationalism agenda? And that is that is the, the beautiful work that the apostles do with their letters, especially Paul when he's writing to communities with different lifestyles, having to look at the various nuances, okay, for this, we we can reform it. For this, we'd have to reject it. For, 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 for this, we have to um, um, renew it. So these are the, 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 we have to receive it. So so I usually say when you're, you're engaging with culture, three things, you either receive, reject or reform. So that was, that was what you see Paul doing in the letters, things that must be received, things that must be rejected, things that must be reformed as he's writing the letters and we also see in the letters, we see um, uh, things like um, um, travel plans, we see things like um, 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 warnings, we see things like greetings, things that are so the, the letters are personal but they carry they carry the, the, the voice and authority of the apostles. So because the apostles were traveling from place to place to let's say Paul has gone to Ephesus and he wants to send a message to Corinth. He would write to the church in Corinth and the letter is as authoritative as his presence, right? For instance, in his letter to the church in Corinth, they were dealing with an issue of sexual immorality. He said, he told them, he said, the next time, first Corinthians, said so the next time you people gather, as if I was there with you, let us uh, excommunicate this fornicator in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? As if I am there with you, present in the spirit. So the letter carries the same spirit. And we also see even within the letters that there is a sort of like um, uh, exchange going on because Paul would write in his letter to the church in Colossae that they should send this letter to the church in Laodicea and and read it to them. And the church in Laodicea too should pick this letter and read it to them. We also see like even the book of Revelation that the, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ which we read as an, a, a very weird book. It's actually a letter addressed to seven churches, where John, the Revelator, writes and addresses letters. So it's, it's just sort of like a secular letter, read in this church, then sent to the next church, and is read sent to the next church. It's about to seven churches. So these are these are what the the, the books. This is how the various letters came up came by, and uh, with time. They were collected into a whole. So we have the gospels and we have the epistles, the letters, right? So these are the raw materials that we have. They are scattered in various churches, scattered in various places containing the teachings of Jesus Christ, stories about Jesus Christ, the teachings of the apostles, how to contextualize the teaching of Jesus Christ as somebody who was not from a Jewish background. How do I live the message of Jesus Christ being the son of God and being the Messiah in my own context?
3: Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting to note also one thing. Uh, one of the questions that probably may be asked is, um, why are we considering or attributing letters that have been written by apostles um, as scripture? And the answer to that question is is, is found within uh, scripture itself, where Peter, one of the apostles, makes reference to, the, the letters that Paul writes. And in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16, says that, and count the patience of our Lord um, as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own distraction, as they do the other scriptures. So clearly here we see Peter equating the truths that Paul expounds in his letters to scriptures. And when, when he says to the other scriptures, he, he's making reference to the old Testament scriptures that they had, the prophets that they had, the, the, the Psalms that they had and, and all of that. And he equates letters of Paul and the wisdom that they contain to the other scriptures, more or less putting them on the same, on the same level. And so, When somebody wants to find out or is asking themselves, um, why would these letters be considered as scripture? That is your answer right there in the scriptures in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Brilliant.
1: Um, Before we continue, just to make sure that our listeners are following the trajectory, uh, we we were saying that the New Testament started more or less like the Old Testament with oral traditions. But this time, the the story that was being told was the apostles were trying to preach Christ or were trying to educate people on who Jesus is and what he said or what his purpose was, right? So they started orally, and then it moved to writings because of um, how widespread the message was getting. And then in the writings, they had to be specific or they had to be conscious and intentional about how they worded the message, because of the different groups of people that they were appealing to or they were addressing, right? So we, we, we've gone from oral to um, writing down these oral traditions. Then we come to the apostles trying to communicate with all these different churches that have been established, which are still in their early days, still trying to figure out how exactly Um, They are going to live according to this new order, um, this new way. And so then we have the epistles, which is the apostles addressing the problems and the issues and encouraging all of these different churches. Um, So we've had oral traditions, writing down these oral traditions, and and then we've gone to writing epistles to the churches. And that's where we're at now, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I believe so too, as brilliantly explained why, you know, the, the, um, the letters of the epistles have authenticity or why they are considered as scripture. Um, but then there's, there's sometimes a theory, like I said earlier, that people um, think that the Old Testament holds more authenticity because it's tied to an entire nation. Um, whereas with the New Testament, we have this group of people who call themselves apostles and all of a sudden they're talking about this man called jesus and they are sending letters and this is like this big movement what shows that um, any of the gospels was not fabricated or was not like somebody didn't sit somewhere and write some things and include their own laws and you know make things make make up some of these stories how do we know that
2: um, these letters and these epistles were true or authentic. Okay, so um, uh, the first thing the first thing we need to know, so not to sound too spiritual, but the first thing we need to know is that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said it. And uh, I think John writes about it. He says that when the Holy Spirit comes, who came in Acts chapter two upon them? He says, he shall, he shall remind you of all the things that I have taught you right? And he shall lead you into all truth. So when they were writing, they they thought they had sat down to do it, but the Holy Spirit, like we said in the Breed by God episode, that the Holy Spirit was the actual author behind the scenes, just like he was behind the scenes in the Old Testament. That's, that's the first thing that we need to look at. Secondly, the time frame in which the Gospels were written, were written at a time where if, the people had recorded anything that was not true, there were eyewitnesses who could have just come out and said that this is not true. And that is all they needed to quell the Christian message, to let it die a natural death. Eyewitnesses just coming up and saying it is not true. And for this message to have survived 2,000 years without any dispute in the early days, that's, oh, this can't be true. Imagine the ridiculous claim that a man has risen from the dead and died no more and ascended into heaven and he was seen by 500 people. Right? And that nobody could challenge this claim. It's two things it's either uh, everybody in Jerusalem at the time was having the same hallucination, or these people are very skillful liars. And to <laughs> the, um, and the thing about hallucination is that the way hallucination is set up, for about five hundred people to hallucinate and see the same thing is is using a miracle to explain a, another miracle. Right, right. And th- that that can't be the case. So it's if 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 the story has survived without contradiction, without any um, um people speaking against it, then uh, we are left with only one one. Um, um, I think, was it Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? He says that um, uh, when you have eliminated, when you have interrogated the facts, and you have looked at all the possibilities, right, um, uh, after eliminating what cannot be, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Yep, that's
1: some Sherlock Holmes for you.
2: (laughs) Right whatever remains however improbable must be the truth so that's that's what we are left with right and secondly there were other people within this time period that came up with their versions of the story of jesus and they were vehemently rejected we have the spurious gospel of peter the gospel of thomas the gospel of judas these are other writings that To write about Jesus Christ, but they were rejected because these were stories that were lies. That weren't, Mm -hmm. and and some of these stories even built up Jesus as a more super spiritual being than we actually (laughs) see in our Gospels today. Right. Right. But those were rejected because it wasn't in accordance with the truth as the apostles saw and experienced, and as the followers and the disciples of Jesus also saw and experienced right because they weren't in the they weren't in the story of building up Jesus as a superman they were in the story of telling the story of Jesus as he was and as he is because they believe that the story as is and his lessons as is is powerful enough to change our lives we don't need to embellish the stories
1: yeah um it even brings me to a point that we brought up in when we were discussing the just the first part of justify your inclusion and how if someone was going to make up a story, definitely they would have cast themselves in um possi- a better uh, positive lighting. You know, like definitely wouldn't mention some parts of the story. Like if I was right, me, I'm sorry, and I'm writing the story. I write that I was there when they killed Steven. No, I heard about it later. You know, something like that. They definitely would have cast themselves in better lights or um there are definitely some parts of the gospel that is is too raw and too Real, um, it's not it's not polished at all, and so that lends authenticity to to what they tell us. And then also, mm-hmm. you look at the fact that the gospels corroborate with each other. How, um, for instance, if if we're all in a room and and Pastor B got up to say something, and then later on, or even typically uh, after service, you could ask a group of people today, what did you learn at at church? And they've all had the same message, they will all tell you the same things, but they will all tell you the same things um, with a heavy leaning on their perspective on it or their, their their way of seeing things or their way of understanding things or interpreting things. And we see that in the four Gospels that they are sharing the same message, but their sources, um, their own um, personalities and you know, their, their ability to interpret things. Like you see how Luke goes about with his interviewing. We see how Mark comes around with gathering information. And, and, and it just shows you that this truly is not a lie because it'll be very difficult to um, replicate that, you know, making sure that, okay, so I'll leave this part out and then you would bring it in. And then this person will bring this part in. That, that would have been near impossible actually Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. let me let me let me jump in with this so um this is one of the arguments i like going with when i'm going the authenticity of the imagine we we can't usually think through it because of how christian oriented our current world is right but imagine in the first century uh, paul or any apostle carrying the message of christ to a gentile audience. So the Roman occupied first century Palestine, and um, uh, most of these areas too are steeped in Greek culture. They worship the pagan gods. These are the gods Zeus, um, um, uh, uh, Hercules, Poseidon. Uh, These are heroic gods known for their their, um, their heroic feats, right? Hercules, this demigod with uh, the, 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 the tasks and the trials that he completes. And you are coming to preach Jesus Christ. And, and that's the message that Paul is trying to get across in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 and 2. It says, the mm. message that we preach to the Jew, to just to the Greeks, it is foolishness. Why is it foolishness? You are preaching a savior. Think about it. A savior is one who comes to rescue you. But you are preaching a savior who died. And he didn't just die. <laughs> he died the most gruesome, of death, death on the cross, death meant for criminals, the lowest kinds of people. And this is whom you are preaching to me? That's why Paul says it's foolishness to the Greeks. But says to those who believe and to those who have believed in this so-called foolish message, we see the testimony of changed life after changed life after changed life. And that is why we hold the writings of these people as true because it does exactly what they said it would do. And it couldn't have been a story that's for. because if I am going to write to people in the an audience that I'm going to call, I'm going to build up Jesus Christ as some Superman, some character who does the extraordinary, not somebody who was whipped, stripped naked, put on a cross and, and uh, disgraced with such a shameful death. No.
1: Yeah, definitely. It makes more sense to say, yo, um, the Son of God descended from heaven onto earth and he gave us these rules. And, like, Charlie, here they are, let's follow them. And then we all go to get to heaven as opposed to uh, he was born to a virgin. Like, first of all, what? <laughs> a virgin? <laughs> what does that even mean? And he was born in a manger and then now be tracing family lines and fulfilling prophecy. Oh, Charlie we'll be going on a quick break um then we'll come back and wrap up on how the new testament came to be canonized we'll be right back and we're back again so this is Between the Lines, the official podcast for the theme of the project. We are discussing a new episode in our current series, Holy Writ, and the episode is Justify Your Inclusion, part two, We're coming at you like a Nigerian movie. <laughs> if you are <laughs> not following any of our social media, confess, don't make me laugh. If you're not following any of our social media, please do. We are on Instagram as the underscore Timothy underscore project, on Twitter as TTP underscore Ghana, and on Facebook as TTP Ghana. Please make sure you follow us, read our content, connect with us. We would love to have conversations with you and check out our website as well. We, we are very eager to, to hear from you and to communicate with you and have some of these awesome conversations with you. Right, so um, we've, we've spoken at length about how the different books in, in the New Testament came to be um, through the letters, which are the epistles, through the oral traditions, which were then written down. How, how did they um, decide that, okay, we're putting all of these books together to make the New Testament and how did they choose, okay, this book gets in and this book doesn't get in? How did the books justify their inclusion?
2: Okay, so there are, there, are, there are, in the course of church history, some major happenings that sort of moved the church in the direction of canonization. So one of the, 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 the very pivotal ones, which um, we highlight in the blog post is, the appearance of an individual named Marcion, right? So um, uh, Marcion was the son of a bishop of Sinope. Um, um, he he um, had some um, um, some encounters and teachings by a Gnostic leader, and Gnosticism was one of the main heresies of the the first early church. Uh, Gnosticism, if it's 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 not Nazism is nuance. It's not a monolithic um, uh, heresy. There are various nuances to which that going into would require a whole other blog post. But uh, suffice it to say, the 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 part of it is that they denied the the humanity of Jesus Christ. They they saw God as very 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 far off and distinct, and that there were emanations of God that led to the creation. And also, and God has come to so um how do I put it. So when it comes to the Gnosticism that Marcion preached, Marcion then believed that the God of the Old Testament was so bloody and so vindictive that he's different from the God of the New Testament. And and that poses another challenge because as a result, Marcion also. Rejected the Jews as the people of God, number one, and also then rejected, so he rejected the God of the Old Testament in totality. And if he's rejecting the Jewish people as the people of God, then any book that was in the church at the time or circulating in the church at the time that sort of pointed to any link with Jewish communities, he rejected us all. So he immediately rejected the book of Matthew, right? He rejected Mark. He rejected mm. John because these were Jewish writers writing about a Jewish Messiah so they rejected Matthew he rejected Mark he rejected John and he kept Luke so his New Testament was Luke and the writings of Paul and that was Marcion's Bible right and and is yes. quite popular right and and most of us don't realize it because even sometimes um, even sometimes Christians we some Christians casually say that and God, the God of the Old Testament. We speak in God in sort of like a certain dichotomy, like the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. We have those traces of Marcionism in our language. Right? And um, so, so what this meant was that the church had to take action. And let's look at it. Marcion has put together a canon, a unified book, and he's spreading his Marcionism. We have the original letters, letters that we view as authoritative and authentic. What are we doing with them? So they, he forced. I would say Marcion forced the church to take a decision, right? And sometimes I think even heretics, even for all their their annoyance and the problems they cause, have a good part to play because. Their heresies and their their problems they present uh, help us to take proper decisions, right? So that was that was, uh, Marcion. But there's another individual that uh, we didn't mention in the blog post that I'd like to give a special shout out here. His name is Montanus. Okay. So, if Marcion. Marcion forced the church to begin to have the conversation about um, collecting the books into one unit, then um, uh, Montanus forced the church to close the units, right? Because Montanus came in at a point where he felt like the church was in decay. And he had two prophets, prophetesses that he used to move around with, Presca and Maximilla. So he used to go everywhere with them and they would prophesy under some uh, spiritual ecstasy, speak the word of God and all kinds of things. And, and he viewed himself as the second Holy Spirit, the second coming of the Holy Spirit and his, his words and the words of his prophetesses are the authoritative voices of God. Right. And you know, the problem that that would pose now, everybody can get up and speak as authoritative voice of God. So what do we do? Do we allow everybody at all to speak? Now we need to sort of like... Um, uh, and most of the people that were were teaching and preaching at that time, were all quoting from these books, like Polycarp's writing, Jerome's writing, like um, uh, Justin Mata, all of them were, if you read their, 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 their resources, you realize that the anti-Nicene fathers and the Nicene fathers, most of them are quoting from these letters that Paul has written, Peter has written, James has written, they are citing from all of these things. So the church, the church decided that you know what, it's about time we put everything together as a collective, not because we want to, we want to um, uh, shut everybody down, but we, we need to have a document to guide Christian life and teaching. Right, so. Because the Old Testament was accepted as Bible, it's it wasn't really a big deal accepting the Old Testament. But for the New Testament now, there was criteria that um, had to be put in place. The four main criteria that was used to not select a book, but to identify whether the book was authoritative enough to make the cut. So here's the, the difference. I usually like to make the difference here, that the New Testament, uh, like the early church did not give authority to their books. They just interrogated the book to find out are you authoritative right do you get a difference yeah so the first so they use four main criteria the first criteria was apostolicity uh, the second uh, criteria was um, um orthodoxy third criteria was inspiration and fourth criteria was widespread usage right so the uh, i'll take um um apostolicity and inspiration. So for apostolicity, they were looking at the fact that was this book written by an apostle because an apostle was a sent representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. So was the book that we are reading written by an apostle or at least a close associate of an apostle who had apostolic supervision for his writing right so under under apostolicity you realize like most of the books made the cut so matthew made the cuts john makes the cuts um um, mark mark makes the cuts because mark writes under the supervision of peter so the gospel of mark is actually the gospel account of the words of peter right and Luke makes the cut because Luke is the travel companion and the chronicler for the ministry of Paul. Mm. Right. So Luke acts, makes the cut. Nice. Then and um, so Mark two makes the cut as a result. Then for inspiration, they 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 look at the criteria. Does the book have qualities of inspiration? So by quality of inspiration, is the person who is speaking, they are closely related, is the person speaking one who is recognized as a mouthpiece of God, right? So even the Old Testament books, you must have, that's why the Old Testament is the law and the prophet. The law is Moses, God's mouthpiece, and the rest are recognized prophets, Mm -hmm. right? So even the the New Testament, do you have the authority to speak on behalf of God? most of the apostles, all the apostles had because they were the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Commissioned to speak on his behalf. Secondly, too is mm-hmm. if you are an inspired book, you should have the quality of inspiration. That means you are not telling a lie. So anyone who wrote any book under false pretense, the book was rejected, right? So oh, for instance, Peters? yeah, so it's, it's, it's known as what, is, uh, what we call um, uh, pseudo pseudonymity. So you write a book under another person's name.
1: Oh, right. Okay.
2: So like using say, a pen name. Yes, like using a pen name. So like the gospel of Peter, right? It wasn't written by Peter, but the person who wrote the gospel of Peter wrote under Peter's name. So such a book was rejected. Right. And and that was one of the criteria that made the book of Revelation accepted. Because the book of Revelation, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, it is what is known as apocalyptic literature. Most apocalyptic literature are pseudonymous, right? In the sense that the authors of apocalyptic literature do not put their name there. They write in the name of another person. For instance, the book of Enoch, which was written during the intertestamental period is ascribed to Enoch, but he's not. Enoch is not the author. It's, a, it's an apocalyptic literature the book of um, 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 baruch is ascribed to baruch the scribe of jeremiah but it's apocalyptic literature written in first uh, the intertestamental period but when it comes to the book of revelation it is the only apocalyptic literature of its kind that identifies the author john identifies himself as the author and Mm -hmm. his audience Mm -hmm. know him his audience in the churches know him
1: right
2: Right, so the book has qualities of inspiration. So it's not written under false pretence, under fake identity. These people that are speaking are, are known as the mouth, are known mouthpieces of God. So that's that's the criteria for apostolicity, and um, um, also for um, um, inspiration. I don't know whether so too would want to take the other two uh, widespread usage and orthodoxy.
3: Yeah, let me quickly touch on on, on those two. So okay. the other two are the as betmore mentioned, orthodoxy and then widespread usage. For the orthodoxy, um, orthodox simply means like following or like conforming to the traditional or generally accepted rules um, or beliefs of a, of a religion, philosophy or practice, right? So what was... Um, if for using the lingo of this time, what was in at the time and what they believed to be true, and what um, they knew was was conformed to the teachings of Jesus Christ and the doctrines of the apostles, that is what they used um, uh, uh, when they when we when we talk about orthodoxy. So whatever book that they were looking at, they wanted to make sure whether this book does it conform to the generally accepted rules or practices or doctrines of jesus christ as we know it to be and if it passed that quality then it was accepted into uh, or was part of the books that made the cut all right so simply for the orthodoxy any book that met that criteria of um conforming to the teachings of christ and then the apostles made the cut then also when we are looking at widespread um usage um Typically an example of examples of books that, that would fall into this category would be the letters of the apostles. I mean, any book that was widely accepted by the church and was circulated widely, right? Everybody knew what this book was, um, what its source was, um, the content of the of the book. And, and you see, the interesting thing is that a, a lot of the times these, uh, the criteria that was, it cuts across, uh, it doesn't, it's not a silo. So then we just say that, okay, just yes, widespread usage of the book makes it into the cut. But um, despite the widespread usage, is it inspired? Does it have orthodoxy? Is it, uh, an, uh, is it a, a book that is written by an apostle or by an associate on apostle, right? But in, generally, if a book was past all these other things and was, was, was widespread, we had a lot of people using it. Um, you found it in several churches and it was general knowledge that this was an authentic book then it would make it into to the cut So, briefly, that is what the other two speak about, orthodoxy and then widespread usage.
2: So, yeah. You notice that as time went on, so it was a gradual process. This this criteria and everything that we are talking about wasn't like a one-time event that is saga. It was a very gradual slow process. It took a, about, about 400 years. Right? Uh, so there's so the, in the first hundred years, so in the putting together of our Bible in the first hundred years, we had different parts of our new Testament circulating in various places in the empire. By the um, second century, the next 200 years, second century, we had um, uh, books like the four gospels where they had begun to be collected at Paul's letters, um, uh, first John, second John, there's, there was a book called The Revelation of John, which uh, we have it, The Revelation of Peter, The Wisdom of Solomon, those books, which sometimes I call apocryphal uh, books. Uh, uh, What's the term I'm looking for? Um, 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 Eugenia, help me out.
3: You mean apoc- apocryphal
2: books? Apocryphal, apocryphal books. books. Man, I can't yeah. believe this word it gave me. So yeah, <laughs> apocryphal books, <laughs> right? And there were other books that were just used in worship, like the Shepherd of Hammers. Like they weren't considered very authoritative, but like they were, they were books that contained good stuff that were used in the liturgy and in the worship. And at some point, some of the books were disputed, like the Book of Hebrews. The Book of Hebrews was disputed because there's no author in the book, right? But based on every other quality, the book is inspired. The book traces its roots. Mm-hmm way back into the old testament draws on old testament themes it is it is highly christological that it, it speaks so highly of christ it is orthodox in its teaching and it is um, it was widespread too in its usage right then by so around the 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 ad 367 there are there was a bishop known as Bishop Athanasius. And this is where most people uh, go to when they look at the New Testament. So they go to the Council of Nicaea. And it, is, it was very intentional. Yeah. that we, we didn't talk about the Council of Nicaea all the way up to this point in time. And it's for this purpose. At the Council of Nicaea, what most people don't realize is that the Council of Nicaea was not set up to discuss what books are going into the Bible. That was not the purpose of the Council. The Council of Nicaea was an ecumenical council that was set up to sort out a problem and an argument or a heresy that was creeping up in the church on the nature of Jesus Christ. So Arian, who was a priest in um, uh, those days, had come out to say that Jesus Christ was not equal with the Father, even though Jesus Christ was not uh, as like us, uh, so he, and he uses the term that so Jesus Christ was not co-eternal with the Father because he the, the slogan of the Arians was there was a time where he was not so they believe that there was a time where Jesus was not but Jesus Christ is not the eternal but he's the first born of creation and Athanasius rose up against so part of the the, the 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 debate actually happened at Nicaea was who or what is Jesus Christ? That was the debate that we were having at the Council of Nicaea. Part of answering that question was, what is the reference material that we are going to base our discussion on? Do you get it? So if we are going to have a conversation about Jesus, what is the reference material? Because we don't want people jumping the gun and saying that, okay, from here, from here. So what reference material, then Athanasius wrote an Easter letter explaining his understanding of or his understanding of the deity of Jesus. And for the first time, all 27 books of the New Testament make it into um, um, uh, uh, Athanasius' letter as these as the basis on his teachings on the correct so Athanasius was right all along, that mm-hmm. Christ was with the Father. So these are the basis from which he gets his understanding of Jesus Christ. So it is from AD that we begin to have the New Testament in its complete form. So like I said, the Council of Nicaea was not set up to fix a Bible for us. They were going to debate the nature of Jesus Christ, whether he was really co-eternal cool, with the Father or he was. Um, uh, there was a time where he was not, Right. And it's one of the, the things that you okay, what, what are the, what are the material, source material that we are going to have our discussion based on? So it was a 400 year process of writing, collection, sieving through, and we have the New Testament today. Interesting, very, very interesting. Like we conclude in the blog post, is like there is a sense in which the early church created the canon. That is the unified body of scripture because it was the only logical thing to do. Looking at the rise of the heresies, but on the other hand, in creating the canon, they were only recognizing the books that were authoritative and the books that were inspired.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the distinction to make here is that they created the canon, not the books uh-huh. so they, they they put the Bible together, but they didn't write the Bible, they didn't choose what would be the Bible. All right, but this has been very interesting um I, I think we have a clearer picture now of how the books came to be, both for the Old Testament and for the New Testament. And I mean, I would advise that you revisit your Bible again, you revisit your Bible stories again, because something I've, I've come to um, respect about the Timothy Project is that every time after a series or after a blog post, I go back to review some of the scriptures that have been mentioned, or I go back to do a little research. And you and you always get better understanding of sometimes texts that you've even read before, things that you, you assume that you already know. Um, so yeah, if any, as a budding Christian, anybody comes to you with some beautiful conspiracy theory about some governor somewhere and how he put, made the Bible to make people follow him Oh, yeah, we've provided you with the necessary facts to prove how the Bible came to be, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how the books justified the inclusion into being the Bible, and not that men uh, chose which ones should, should be in the Bible uh, per se. Um, we'll take your summary on the series so far and justify your inclusion as, as, as a whole, and then we'll be closing out on this podcast.
3: Um, so, okay. I mean, following um, through with everything that um, Beth Mona shared with us today. I mean, if you go I would encourage all our listeners to go back to the blog post, right? Um, in the, you would see um, in the, in the in the course that we, we provide in the blog post, you would see a diagram that, that shows you the timeline Um, for which the Bible was put together and the actual books that were compiled at that time. And it gives you some brief um, summary into knowing exactly how the Bible was put together. I think that 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 diagram would help a lot of people to fully understand um, the process by which um, we have the Bible as it is today. Um, Again, as concluding thoughts, We've been, from the beginning, from part one to to part two, we've we've indicated that um, God, God, the way he operates, he does not operate outside um, human beings. Um, From from the beginning of creation till now, um, after Adam was created, God has been working through men to achieve and accomplish his purposes here on this earth. And the same is going to hold true um, for a long time to come, even until the end of the world. And so the fact that we see men being used of God to do things does not discredit the fact that um, the, the, the activity or the thing that has been accomplished was accomplished by the hand of God. Um, so let mm-hmm. us keep in mind, let us not say that because of the vessel, um, whatever has been accomplished is, is substandard or that's not. Nice. It's not perfect. It's not perfect, and I think that mm-hmm. for most people, that has been what has been holding you back, um, because uh, as I mentioned earlier in my earlier submission, people think of holy books as something that they should receive in, it, in its whole state directly maybe from yeah. It should drop from heaven. Yeah, it's like you should drop complete bam, Then we have everything. Then that one we can say that it has no uh, how do you call it, influence. It has no errors. It has no you know. It's perfect. But the way that God works, God has always worked in conjunction with man, and um mm. God is able, He's not a God that is scared of using man, even in our state of fallingness and inadequacy. He is able to use all of that to bring out his purposes, and we see clearly here that um I mean the, one of the stories that Bedmond mentioned during the the, the, the discussion was that of Marcion, And I think that is, he was a very interesting character. Somebody like him, God was able to use him to trigger the, uh, the church at the time, to take a step to put together the, 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 the Bible and to gather the information um, and to even apply these uh, criteria that was used to select these books. Um, into the Bible as we know it today. And so God can use anything and everything to accomplish his purposes. And so let's not discount the work of God because it has been, it is seen through fallible man. But our God is infallible and whatever he causes to come to being or causes to get done, even though it is through an infa- uh, through a fallible uh, vessel, still remains a work of God and still is perfect. So with this understanding, let us approach the Bible as a, a wholly inspired book uh, from God himself. and I think that as B- Bethman mentioned, the power that lies inherent within it to transform and change our lives um, will do so and we we'll can kind of attest to it ourselves personally that indeed um, this book indeed is the inspired Word of God and it contains within the power to change and to transform. Yeah.
1: Hallelujah and amen. So, I think that's a very great conclusion to the justify your inclusion part of our series, Holy Writ. If you haven't caught up on the series yet, please do. Please go from the start, read the blog post, listen to the podcast as we discuss the blog post in greater detail. And just help yourself out and share this with your friends as well, because all of these things are very important aspects of our faith because we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in, in, um, the message that he brought to us of salvation, but we need to have a, a good grasp or a good understanding of the documents that we rely on, which is the Bible. We need to understand it thoroughly in order to live our lives according to it. So read this, live it out, share share this um, content with your friends as well. share with both believers and non-believers. I believe this is something everybody should know. if not for nothing just to disprove some of the theories out there that are honestly a little too far-fetched. Um, till next time it's been between the lines the official podcast for the Timothy project.
0: Stay blessed and stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to between the lines by the Timothy project. The Timothy project is a crowdfunded discipleship ministry that seeks to train and disciple young believers, presenting them perfect to Christ. What we do here is made possible by your generous gifts and donations. If you've been blessed and seek to support us you can find our giving options in the description below keep tabs on our website for exciting blog posts you can also interact with us on our social media handles in the description below the timothy project presenting every man perfect